Welcome to the Swim Swam Breakdown. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining us today, Swim Swam Editor-in-Chief Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Senior International Reporter Loretta Race, coming to us from Kentucky. What's up, everyone? How was your Easter? <laughs> Chocolate-filled. <clears throat> Loretta, you've, you've been in uh, Europe, eh? Yes, I was in England for like a week and a half. I didn't make it to Sheffield. So sorry, British swimming championship people, but I followed along and I reported on it. So you traveled somewhere and didn't go to a swim meet. Must be nice. I don't know what that's like. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Okay. I'll feel bad for you. We get it. Speaking of which, the Westmont Pro Swim's coming up. I will be going to that Friday and Saturday. We've we we already have a lot of big stories coming out of this meet. It hasn't even started yet. I guess by the time this comes out, it will have. But the biggest story is Santo Condarelli is going for country number three on his uh, on his Olympic qualifications. He is allegedly. Uh, shooting, a- aiming to represent the U.S. the 2024 Olympics. It seems like he will be eligible to go to the Olympics as the three-year period of uh, needing to of not representing another country will end July 2024 after the Olympic trials, but before the beginning of the Olympics. What do we think of this move for Santo and for the U.S.? I love it for the drama, for the culture. Um, I love those parts of it. I think it doesn't appreciably change the American outlook. Um, you know, he's a great talent. We all know he's a, he's a huge talent. Feels like maybe he didn't he didn't quite get there in Canada and Italy at this point of his career. Um, it's hard to see him taking a top two spot. And the U.S. is so deep in the hundred free right now. You know, could he sneak in and grab a prelims uh, 400 free relay swim? I think he could totally do that. Um, But in the big picture, I don't think this really changes much for the U.S. If we were sinking or swimming this, I'd probably sink him making the team. But he's so talented. um, You know, it's it's certainly not out of the realm of reason. My question was why the United States and not either remaining at Italy or going for Japan. I mean, honestly, it, it, because if he's, if he is targeting say the 5,300 free, he would be honestly a shoe in in Japan, quite honestly. We, so know, I, we don't know that he has Japanese citizenship, but he was born. Yeah. Citizenship. That's one thing, but he could go and live in Japan for three years. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, that's, and a, that's a big lifestyle change. <laughs> yeah. It is, it's, it is, but he, <clears throat> Born I think there, it's tougher right? to get. I think it's tougher to get Japanese citizenship. So there may there's some question about whether he even could. Um, but you know, Canada makes sense to me, right? Like maybe he he probably didn't want to go back and live in Canada. Probably the practical answers were continue on with Italy, where he can live what, wherever he wants at this point because he's not a, a citizen change, um, or go back to the U.S. and. I don't know. I can see, I can see the draw, right? Like, you know, he's the, the jokes he's born in Japan. He's represented Canada. He's represented Italy. He's represented the U S I, I get all the jokes, but in my mind, he probably feels American. Like I think he lived most of his life in the U S he, 
went to high school in the U.S. Like most of his formative time was spent in the U.S. So to me, there's probably just a draw of representing the country with which he identifies most. Uh, you know, Santo has always been kind of his own, played to the beat of his own drum. So we can all sit and, and say, oh, this would have been the easiest path. This would have been the easiest path. But at the end of the day, Santo's going to do what Santo wants to do. I feel like I, I, I don't remember where I heard this from, but someone had told me he didn't feel like the lifestyle in Italy was very sustainable uh, in terms of training at the highest level. Uh, and that could be a cultural thing. That could just be, you know, he's used to American lifestyles opposed to Italian lifestyle. And I do think it's pretty different, right? I think they're much more leisurely in their day to day. I could see a guy like Santo having a lot more distractions in Italy. And, mm -hmm. and almost like enjoying the lifestyle too much. I think in a sport like swimming, there has to be Mel. Mel likes to say to be a great swimmer, you have to be uh, so unhappy with your life that you'd rather be at the <laughs> pool than somewhere else. And I don't know. I don't know if I'd go that far, at least not anymore. Um, but I could see a guy like Santo sort of getting absorbed into the Italian lifestyle and, and late nights and, all that stuff and and not being able to block that out and do some of the the cold hard work that maybe he thinks he needs to do. Wait, I think the other thing is making an American Olympic team would it is a huge feat. Not to say Italy is not, not to say Canada is not, but we we historically have a huge depth of talent. So for him to be able to come back and say I've made an Olympic team in America, mm -hmm. I think is like the biggest bragging right you can have, basically. So I think. You know that in itself is is incentive. Yeah. So I think that that could be a you know easier path to a medal, maybe. Although Italy's four hundred free relay could medal as well, but if I don't think Italy's going to win the gold, and if gold he thinks is the topping off of his career, just kind of getting on that prelims relay in the U.S. would certainly get him there. And yeah. I mean, with the exit of Zach Apple, who retired. With Caleb Dressel's unknown, Santo could know something about his old high school teammate that we don't. Mm -hmm. But e either way, Caleb hasn't swam yet. So it's like the 100 free is deep in the U.S. right now, but it's not as deep as it was the last Olympic cycle, for example. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, th I think he has a, a good shot. Other big news coming out of the pro swim, Katie Ledecky is out, which is always a bummer. It's kind of surprising to me how much, how, how big of an impact she makes, even at a meet like this, it, she immediately takes the distance events and makes them pretty exciting. And now that she's out, it's kind of like, oh, okay, not, not as exciting. No uh, sandpiper girls either. So that hurts. No sandpipers. So but it they'll be good, but obviously not as good. And then we have who we think is Santo's new training partner, Matt King, who's training with Coley Stickles. He left Virginia earlier this semester due to personal family matters. Uh, we weren't really sure what his status was or return date was. He's now training with Coley Stickles in Frisco, Texas. He's contemplating an Olympic redshirt year, and it looks like he's going to be competing in Westmont. What do we think of, th of this path for Matt King right now? You know, again, without knowing exactly what is going on with his family stuff, it's it's not as out of left field as it might seem in the first place. Um, you know, we have to remember he committed to Coley at Alabama. Um, he started his career with Coley at Alabama. 
and that year ended in a pretty successful year, even though Coley was no longer there. If I have that timeline right, um, Coley left in the middle of his freshman season. So, you know, it's – Coley is a controversial guy, and and we don't have to get into every piece of that. Um, he's a controversial coach. He does make sprinters fast, and Matt King probably feels like the two of them together had some unfinished business. Um, so, you know, I, I get it. I think it makes sense. Um, if I'm him, I'm, I, you know, in terms of an Olympic red shirt, I keep going back to the fact that like Coley's two pros going into the Tokyo Olympic trials, both retired a few months before trials. And I'd look at that and want some kind of a really good explanation for why, you know, why that happened in, and how we were going to keep that from happening again this time. Um, but other than that, I think it makes sense. You know, he was doing okay at Virginia. He was doing pretty good at Virginia. It wasn't like it, he was hitting home runs every time out in the long course pool at Virginia. So um, I don't know. I think it makes sense. It's it, I don't know if it's the move I would make, but I think it does make sense from where he's at and what he's done and what he's been through. I mean, for me, when I was looking up rivals to potential Santo Condorelli, you know, you know, 50 free, 100 free. I was looking at, okay, Matt King's name kept coming up. One 2022 Nats. You know, so I feel like he knows what's best for him and knows where he's going to have his talent thrive. So honestly, I don't think it's it's really up to us, honestly, to question what he feels is best for his career. And and he is one of the the up and coming sprinters in US and he's closer than people think, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, so I, I think he, he is just following his calling, so to speak, and is going to where he thinks is, is going to put him in that right trajectory for the Olympic trials. When I talk to the, the, the Virginia coaches and specifically Todd DeSorbo, it's not entirely clear to me that they have a good handle on what Matt's going to do or not do. Um, and I don't, I don't, I can't say they didn't say, oh, Matt's not welcome back at the program because that absolutely wasn't said. So I don't want to give that impression. Um, but I, I did get the sense that like, hey, Matt has his plan and, you know, but he hasn't necessarily discussed that plan with Virginia in terms of returning or not returning. So um, whether or not there's a spot there, I think is a, a conversation he may still have to have with the folks in Charlottesville. Yeah. And that, I mean, that make kind of makes sense to me when you kind of all see this, because obviously we don't know what family matters were occurring, but he, as Loretta mentioned, he won nationals last summer. You know, he went, he was 48 low in the hundred free. He was 21 in the 50 free. Like he had a really good kind of breakout meet. And this fall, it seemed like, okay, he's going to carry that momentum. Things seem to be going well at Virginia. So to completely pivot to, a different training environment, a very different training environment than a college team, you know, training with a smaller pro group. It, it strikes me as kind of odd. And I'm going to, uh, echo Braden. Like, I don't know if it's the decision I would make, but if he feels like that's, what's going to help him take the next step, then I hope he's right because he seemed to be doing really well his first two collegiate seasons. And, you know, for for Team USA, we want to see that those improvements keep coming. And you know, we still again, th- this is a theme that I feel like we've had through the years on this podcast. In the US, we we haven't in general seen small pro groups or small pro groups not affiliated with colleges, or to really put a bow on it, small pro groups made up of swimmers 
who didn't go to the college they're affiliated with. Like we, we haven't just seen that work out. We've tried it several times in this country and it hasn't been great. Um, you know, it, there's, there's lots and lots of examples and I don't want anybody to feel like I'm calling them out, but I just think <laughs> that's not the culture people, people are used to here in the U S and it just doesn't work out all that often. Well, and I think part of that is especially as you were saying, there's no infrastructure behind them. You know, it's like Dave Marsh's pro group at Swim Mac kind of worked because there was a huge infrastructure of the club team behind it. Right. But it's like when that's probably the best example. Right. Like when we saw Marsh's pro group in San Diego that didn't end up having that college behind it, not as not as successful at the Olympic stage, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh so it'll be interesting to see how this goes, <clears throat> for sure. Moving outside the U.S., uh, we had British trials. We had the Japan Open, which served as the Japanese trials for this upcoming Fukuoka World Championships. Let's start with Britain. Uh, they, they announced their 29-strong roster for Fukuoka today. Uh, what do we think of the lineup and what we saw from the British trials? There were some standout swims, and there were... A lot of swims that didn't make the qualifying cuts, but the swimmers were ultimately named to the team pretty justly. In, in the, that Venn diagram, there is a lot of overlap of outstanding swims that also didn't make the cut. Um, right. <laughs> because that that me that was wild, and I I hope that sort of this trend of especially European nations of putting these ridiculous standards in place and then trying to to go back and basically hand choose the team. I hope that puts it to bed a little bit. Um, I think elevated standards are one thing. I think what what British swimming did for this meet was a step too far. Um, but neither here nor there. You know, this, there there were definitely some disappointments. You know, no Adam Peaty racing is the most obvious one. Um, Luke Greenbank, who's been kind of the the backstroker for the British team for a few years now, not making the team is another one. Um and I think it would be easy to let that. And this, this is my biggest problem with the way they handled the selections is that there were some really exciting stories at this meet, like Matt Richards in the 200 free. Um, having another 144 on that team is ridiculous. And like nobody's going to remember that. Everybody's going to remember it as the meet where nobody hit the time standards. Um, and it's, it feels like one of those things to me that in swimming, there's a lot of administrators that seem to make their decisions based on the understanding that there are never going to be any fans in swimming. Like nobody's going to have interest in coming to the meets because they wouldn't make decisions like this if they thought they were actually going to sell a lot of tickets and make some money off of the selection trials. And it just sort of takes the energy out of the room. Um, so, you know, Can I think you imagine did- if U.S. Olympic trials <laughs> was like, yeah. People are going to swim, but the team doesn't get selected until like actually after. And it's based on our decision, not we wouldn't need a football stadium. We need a high school gym. Uh, (laughs) But so it's, you know, I, there's some good things. Um, um, Anna Hopkins had a good, or no, uh, Frey Anderson had a good meet, right. Um, that, you know, there were other good things just, it feels like so much of it was overshadowed by the selection snafu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think regarding the selection snafu, I would say if I were a British swimmer ongoing, I would just so they have the the British 
uh, automatic qualifying standard in their selection policy. And then they have the consideration standard ongoing. If I were a British swimmer, I would just try to shoot for the consideration standard and hope for the best because they had so many discretionary picks and there were only, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe, I don't even know if there were that many in my post of actual automatic qualifiers. So they're going to pick their own team anyway. So I would honestly try to swim, you know, pretty solidly during the year and then just try to hit a consideration time. And then my spot would probably be sealed. Um, but Matt Richards, I totally agree with Brayden. He was, he became not just the first British man, but the first man ever to get sub 22 in the, in the 50 sub, you know, 145 in the 200 and then, you know, sub 48 in the 100, which is humongous, let alone for British swimming. So that in itself was a humongous feat. Dean was on his game. He was 144 high, you know, in the 200 free, was 156 in the 200 IM, beat Duncan Scott. Duncan looked a little bit off in his in his 200. He was 145. I think he got fourth. So definitely not alarming, but he didn't get first. You know, he's Olympic silver medalist, um, but still made it in the 2 IM. So, but I think PD's absence on the men's side just highlighted the fact that without him, like the medley relay is just deflated. You know, mm -hmm. the first place, um, James Wilby in the 100 breast, I think it was 59 high, you know, which for him is even slow. He's been under 59 seconds before. So I don't know. It, it's that's a little alarming if you're a British swimming fan that PD has obviously, we knew he had that big of an impact, but it's just seeing it, you know, in paper yeah. and knowing he's not going to be there you know, is kind of a big dagger, you know, to the medley relay hopes of, of British swimming on the men's side anyway. The focus is for sure on those free relays now, I think. Yeah. Hey, what about what about Tom Dean and the 2IM? Yeah. Well, yeah. he had the 2IM before. He he was always a solid 2IMer and then kind of shifted away for a couple of years and then solidly went back to it. Because honestly, they don't have, besides Scott, another, you know, humongous, you know, 157-ish even swimmer. Uh -huh. So, you know, he... I absolutely is world-class and he could definitely make a run at it for sure. I love that of the, all four Olympic champions from their four by two free relay in Tokyo uh, are on this team, but three of them only made the consideration times. Yeah, well, but speaking of which I'm now super excited for this men's four by two relay and to see Britain and us duke it out in Fukuoka and see who can come out on top because because both teams look extremely stout at this point. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I think I think putting the US <laughs> in that conversation based on what Great Britain just did is sort of optimistic, right? Like the US I think has a, a very good 800 free relay that would have maybe won last year. Did they win <laughs> last year? They it's, did. It, it, whatever they, it is, it's they went seven double O. Yeah. So yeah. like they have a very good relay, but like the adepts on this British relay are ridiculous. Like they have a, yeah. they have a three second margin on the world record to, yeah. you know, they have three seconds to play with just versus oh the world record. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it, it just, it's like two and a half seconds. All right. Well, uh, but like, that's, that's ridiculous <laughs> to me. And yeah. the women, the women's did well too. I mean, they, they, there weren't any, you know, record breaking swims. I mean, everyone, I wouldn't say everyone, most of the top tier of athletes performed solidly. Freya Colbert might've been Braden, who are you were the Freya, Freya that you were mentioning earlier. So she outright got the 4am, you know, qualification standard. So she, she's now, I think the third, yeah, third British 
400 IM or all time, just blasted out of 435.50, you know, best time. Laura Stevens got under 207 for the first time in the 200 fly. So globally, you know, are they going to top the podium? Most likely not. But the fact that they're kind of shifting the women a little bit in line with the men who have been very stellar, you know, the past couple of years, I think is is very promising. And then obviously we had the 14-year-old Amelie Bloxage who got the 1500 title 14 years old, didn't make the roster, but the fact that she, let's see, 16, 19 was her time. So as a 14 year old, that's very, very promising, you know, after, you know, Becca Adlington and, and, you know, the, the other, uh, uh, Jazz Carlin, you know, people mm-hmm. in the past have gotten medals. Now they have this up and comer who's literally dropping double digits in seconds every time that, that, that she swims. So that, that's a good sign as well on the women's side. And I so think her missing the roster is okay. Like I, yeah. I think her going to a junior meet is probably the right move for this sure. year anyway. Sure. Sure. So sad to me that Freya Colbert, who's also a teenager, went this really fast time in the 400 IM and it's 10 seconds slower than the teenage world record that just got set a week ago. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, she could still medal, but I mean, that's, that's kind of her ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so moving on to Japan, uh, Retta, what were your highlights from the Japan Open, and you know what excited you about what you saw out of the out of their selection process? Yeah, so I thought there would be not a world record, but I thought there would at least be more national records that bit the dust. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's also kind of a factor that in December they had the Japan Open, which wasn't too far, you know, before this meet, even though this one was the qualification one, and Japan did not quite as stiff as, as Great Britain, but they did have their own qualification standards that actually equaled um, the Paris World Aquatics A cuts. So they weren't, you know, the um, the standard Fukuoka A, A standards. They were a little bit faster. But Katsuo Matsumoto did win three titles on the men's side, which is great for him. So he's made strides in his 100 fly. He became the second man to go sub 51 in the 100 fly, which is great. Naoki Mizunuma got silver last year at the World Championship. So now Matsumoto actually beat him in this, you know, uh, Japan uh, Swimming Championships uh, trial. So that's great for him. 5096 was his time. He did meet um, the qualification standard for the 100 free, which is a national record for him, 4785. So that's another kind of feather in the the Japanese swimming bonnet of getting another person under 48 seconds in the 100 freestyle. And then he was just under 145 at 144.98 in the 200 free. So I think it's been a couple of years since he's been under 145 in the 200 free. So for him, that was great. Um, And then Ipe Watanabe, the former 200 breast world record holder, is kind kind of getting back to his old soul. He was 207 high in the 200 breast, so we did take that title, got under the consideration standard. So he may be in play for a minor medal if Australia's Axel Stubbley Cook is on his game, you know, because he's worlds above everybody else. Mm. Um, on the women's side, Rikako Aiki did get four titles, which was phenomenal for her. This She kind of took most of last year off, kind of tending to mind and body. She's back at it, took the 50 free, 100 free, 50 fly, 100 fly titles. Um, her 50 fly of 2559 was, I think, her second best since returning um, to racing after leukemia, spending most of 2019 in the hospital. So that's phenomenal for her. And then we had 16-year-old Mio Narita, who beat actually Yuyo Hashi, the double Olympic champion, 
she beat her in the 200 IM. So that is extra confidence boost. Again, you were saying summer, you know, Macintosh is, is kind of worlds above everybody else, but you know, there's another teenager that could kind of, you know, put the damper on the parade for some of the other, you know, world mainstays in the 200 IM. And she also qualified in the 400 IM as well. So that 200 IM is going to be ridiculous this summer. Yeah, it is. That's, that's. Look at Kate Douglas and Alex Walsh and summer and, you know, like on top of, of the existing names that's in the teenagers and the, none of this makes any sense, but it's going to be ridiculous. (laughs) Gonna be a really good race, <laughs> dude. How is Ryosuke Irie still, still doing it at thirty like six years old, popping <laughs> off one fifty six two backs? But that was one. Of, that was one of the my thumbs down for Japanese. Was I was surprised that he, he dropped. He was entered in the two hundred back and then dropped it, and I was really bummed about that because <laughs> he's ranked fifth in the world right now. He swam his first two hundred back in like a year earlier this year, and he's one fifty six. Totally world class, and that's the top Japanese time. He would have won this, you know, swimming championships. But so he, he must just be focusing on the hundred back. Fair enough, you know that's great, but. He still has it in him. So how would they not found another backstroker that can beat him? That's what's crazy to me. I know. The top like, I can't name another backstroker from Japan. Well, I, okay. Like it, ever, right? If because I like, had my, if I had it so written long. down, I would know it. But it was the dude that got second at it was either World Junior Championships or World Junior Compacts. He yeah. won it. So he's uh-huh. yeah, but he's he's kind of, you know. There's like top two, and then there's like the rest of the world. He's he's kind of in that big pack. They had the dude who was really good at the fifty back that trained at Michigan for a while. Oh, Junior Koga, yeah. he was there. Yeah, yeah. And he got like sixth. Yeah, oh. so he's but not. He's like a hundred years old now. Yeah, he's also oh. old. Yeah. <laughs> Him and Bruno and whoever else is old. Oh gosh, Loretta, I like your artwork. I just noticed that behind your head. Oh, there. my dad made that. Yeah. Thank oh, you. Cool. Oh, he carved that? Yeah, it's like a molding. He's wow. a chemist and they just played around with crap on their off time. <laughs> That's super cool. <laughs> just for fun. That's <laughs> awesome. All right. We also had the prestigious Romanian nationals. Ooh, big meat. <laughs> this <laughs> is actually uh, an exciting meet. There was a lot was. of good stuff happening in Romania. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like David Popovich has really upped the whole country's game. I mean, I don't know any of the other swims that happened, but maybe you guys can talk about them. I mean, they're not worth necessarily talking about on this podcast, but they broke some national records. Name one one right now. Um, I don't remember the names, even though I wrote it. Um, The, the female hundred breaststroker broke a national record. They broke, they broke some records by some pretty they had some pretty big drops to break some national records um yeah. including people out of his training group in uh, Bucharest so that that was cool um is the what's the question will he perform again this summer that's what my notes yeah. say the, the question yeah. is, is about david now. popovich <laughs> yeah and uh you know what does this indicate for this summer for david you know i always have this thought um when you when you read the follow-ups to like a teenager who does something great, right? interviews are always, oh, we changed this, we tweaked this to try to get better. And and I I've never 
I have been a swim coach. I've never coached a swimmer of David Popovich's level. I'm going to put that out there. I've never coached a world record holding swimmer um, in case anybody was uncertain about my, my resume. Um, I always wonder when you get a kid like this, who just crushes things at 18, how, how you have that conversation, because if you repeat the same thing over again and he just turns 19 and then turns 20 until at least maybe 21 or 22, it seems like you could just repeat the same cycle again and he would continue to drop time. Like that's the way it should work. And I know it doesn't always work that way, but like, I always wonder when he comes back and says, you know, Oh, I tried a straight arm stroke. I tried uh, you know, I really want to train for the distance events. I wonder as a coach, how, how you balance because big talents like him can get bored too, right? Like they can, they can get over swimming. Um, you know, that may be part of what we're seeing with Caleb, especially sprinters, right? I feel they've got more of that. Like I need new and different stimuli sort of bug in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always wonder how you have those conversations. You know, you, you sit David down as a coach and you say, David, all you have to do is, grow for another year all you have to do is is continue to lift weights for another year and continue to train for another year and you'll break the world record again but then you come out of it saying no we need to try we need to change your stroke technique we need to do more volume we need to do this and that and it's it's such a wild thing because there's not a roadmap for training teenage world record holders especially on the men's side right like it it doesn't happen often enough there's no, there's no like correlations there, right? Like people change things and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but everybody's convinced that they made the right decision anyway, even though we know just by the nature of the sport, we can't say, we can't say definitively who would have been better or less good doing something else. Um, but it's just, it's a, it's like an embarrassment of riches kind of, um, like you can, you can change things and pretend like you're a genius because he just got older um, and bigger and stronger just because that's what 18 year old men do. Um, But I don't, I don't know how you wrap your head around that challenge. Yeah. I mean, for me, Kyle Chalmers of Australia, okay. He didn't break the world record, but obviously won Olympic gold as a teenager. And we've seen him since kind of change a little bit in terms of focusing on the hunter fly a little bit more. He's even swum the 800 free at a couple of races. So I think Popovich is almost, you know, not emulating that, but, but experimenting a little bit, you know, we mm-hmm. saw him obviously swim the fly with the, the back this weekend. And I think the 400 free, this isn't the first time that we've seen him swim that. So I do think, you know, it is experimentation. I think it is kind of feeling out what you can apply from one race to another and what can feed, you know, your training from one event to a different, a different event. And also, like you said, kind of just negating any sort of boredom that would come into play with, with sprint, with uh, sprint training. So I'm really excited if Popovich continues with the hundred fly for me personally, I feel like that is, you know, a bubbling, you know, kind of event for him. I, I feel like he could really make some major strides in that. And maybe it's because I've seen Chalmers improve so much in, in his hundred fly, but I feel like that could be, you know, kind of a, a an offshoot for him that I think could potentially be, you know, something that he could really kind of knock down the world rankings in, in the near future. Actually, not that far away, actually. And reading between the lines of what he's been saying, it's clear that David, in David's mind right now, and, and we know David has been confident in himself from a young age, it, it seems to me as though 
for David being the best 100, 200 freestyler in history, having those world records, winning those titles, that doesn't feel like it's enough to me for, for what he wants his legacy in the sport to be. Um, because I think he could chase that, right? Like, I think he could take that path and be among the greats ever, but it almost feels like he, he wants his seat at the table with Phelps and Ledecky and, you know, the, the rare few, the Ian Thorpe, like that really top echelon and that he thinks two races isn't enough to do that. It's, it's like, he feels like he needs a third race at least. Well, it's almost like me, like with his 200 fly, right? I mean, he's mm-hmm. so worlds above everybody else that I feel like it, he, in his mind, he needs that hundred fly almost right. as like an extra marker on his. On it's his like head. he didn't get enough credit until the he was yeah, good in the hundred and the hundred free, even. <laughs> yeah. even though he just destroyed Michael Phelps's world exactly. record over and over again. <laughs> I mean, going back to the mentality of it, I'm. <clears throat> I really like that he has a young coach because I think young coaches are going to be a lot more open to trying new things instead of being more stuck in their ways. And I think, you know, we've seen this at Virginia where they swim off events at conference meets where they swim the events, their coaches encourage them to swim the events that excite them. I think that just makes whatever events less stale, right? Like swimming off events at a meet that's he qualified for the Olympics at, but it's also not a huge pressure meet. Like it's a good thing. It keeps things fresh. It doesn't, it, and it doesn't put too much pressure on him in those certain events. He doesn't fixate on them so much Especially that he's thinking about them all the time. Other events. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that helps. Yeah. Um, it would be super fun to see him swim the hundred fly in Paris next year, especially because I think it comes after the hundred and 200 free as like a bonus event. You know, it's like if he wins a third medal, yeah, his, 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 that affects his legacy for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's our news for the week. So now let's play some sink or swim. And speaking of legacies, first up today on sink or swim, Leon Marchand, arguably the world's best swimmer at this moment, is going to be racing in Westmont. Do you think he will register a time in any of his events that is truly eye-popping. I will let you define that for yourself. I'm not saying world record, but a, a time that will make you look like Braden does right now. Uh, absolutely. I don't think he's going to break a world record, but what we saw from him in the NCAA season is that he can go fast lots and lots of times over and over again. I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like 406, 155, which would make my eyes pop especially in april that's eye popping two weeks after ncaa yeah so i am i am swimming an ipod i mean what's what's ipod i think even a 407 in the four i am in april sub 410 i would say it's like yeah i don't know 409 okay isn't what it used to be. all right yeah. well, you're right there was true Cito did 407 at Japanese championships. Yeah. Just, just there was a time when 409 was like winning That's world fast. championships, yeah. but well, that yeah. went away real quick. Oh, yeah. So I'm Seto did 407 like a week ago last week. What? Daya swam 407 last week. Yeah. 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 He was 156. Yeah. Read the news, Coleman. God, yeah. That is I was fast. like, are you asking me? Literally. Sorry. Like, yeah. <laughs> it did kind of get lost in the wash a little touch. bit. Yeah. It did. No, it did, but I'm swimming it because it's it's him. I mean, it's it's Marshawn. He's 
like you said, basically the world's best swimmer at this point, also the most versatile. So nothing would shock me at this point. So I, I, I would be stupid, quite honestly, to sink it. Yeah. I could see a 207 low in the two breast. Oh, gosh. Wow. And with that, I'm going to sink it. Oh, <laughs> Coleman. I think, I think he's tired. I think... Look, college teams train long course all year round. They say it all the time. We do long oh. course three times a week. Yeah. I think it'll take him a little bit to find his long course rhythm. I think he just had the meat of his life so at NCAAs. Sometimes. And I think it's just going to take him a little bit. I think he's going to break world records this summer. I think he's going to win world titles. But I don't think he's going to be quite eye-popping in Westmont. Mm. He has to know he has to prove that he can do it in long course, Coleman. He's oh, got to prove it. He's <laughs> swimming in a bathtub. <laughs> so dumb. I, I got a tweet. Somebody tweeted that at me. And I was like, he was the world champion in both I am. Like, dude. what, what, what are so you waiting for? To prove? I am record people. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do not submit to that line of thinking whatsoever. <laughs> I just think it'll take him a while to get back there. You should invite one of the Australians on the podcast and just spend Be 45 awesome. minutes arguing over. Why do you hate us? Why do you hate bathtubs? What's wrong with bathtubs? <laughs> they must take a lot of showers in Australia. But their 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 pools are also like forty eight meters long, right? So <laughs> there's that. Their baths flow <laughs> the other way. The, I don't know. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, Russian athletes are out of the 2023 World Championships. Was this the right call? Oh, I'm so sick of this conversation. I think it was the right call because I think it's, I you know, I think there's still room for discussion about Paris. Um, I think this summer, any decision that World Aquatics would make would be too rushed. And I, I don't think World Aquatics has the resources of an IOC to really dig in on as quickly on what the right solution or what a, a proper middle ground solution could be. Um, so I, I'm going to swim. It's the right call. I know there's lots and lots of opinions on this. The war in Ukraine is not appear to be winding down. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm honestly surprised they made this call. I got to say, um, I'm, I'm surprised that they, they aren't even giving the commission an opportunity to find a path back to this, to worlds this summer for Russia and Belarus. Um, the fact that they're holding that meeting basically in July when it's too late to welcome them back this year is surprising to me. Um, you know, whichever way the decision went, I would have thought given the World Aquatics, formerly FINA relationship with Russia in the big picture, um, that they would have given that commission an opportunity to allow Russian athletes back in this summer. So I so was, I was, is, so can they swim under like the, the Olympic committee or whatever that, you know what I mean? What they did for that one, you know, where no, like, not, not unless somebody like defected to the U S and got refugee status or, you know, okay. I think, I think if something like that happened, they, that would be treated like refugees from any other country, um, which okay. may involve <clears throat> the refugee team, but I, there was nothing obvious. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to swim it because I, I feel like nothing, honestly, in the global picture has really changed that much to, to sway it. 
to yeah. enable them to compete. So in for that reason, I, I would say it's it's the right call at this point. Yeah, I mean, like why, again, we come back to this, regardless of what side you sit on of this issue, what what would have kept them out last year that all of a sudden we'd allow them in? There has It's not like there's been fee- less evidence of human rights violations or, you know, it's not like they've given background to Ukraine. Like nothing, nothing positive has happened since the last time they kept them out. So any change in decision, I think, would be viewed as purely political, which is probably not good for anybody agreed yeah i'm i'm swimming it for the for the aforementioned reasons so next up daniel deal number one commit sorry number one athlete in the class of 2024 announced his verbal commitment to nc state do we see the nc state men winning an ncaa team title during daniel deal's tenure and raleigh uh, all right. I'm going to start. I'm going to start this way. I think this is the most important commit in NC state state history. Um, cause we've seen the last few years, they've been pivoting <laughs> from sort of, they, they, they sort of built this consistent top four program a lot on internationals on the men's side. Um, I think the women's side, just thinking through the roster has been more American, but on the men's side has been a lot of international swimmers. In the last year or two, they've really started to pivot that into getting big classes of American men. And that hasn't gone super great. And and we know there were some health issues with mono this season that interrupted things. Um, But James Sutherland's year-by-year analysis has shown that the results haven't been great. But Daniel Deal is sort of a perfect recruit for what NC State is good at, I think. Um, you know, he's from a rural area. It's an ag school. So I think culturally there's some, some good fit, but also, also he's a backstroker. He's a very good backstroker. He comes in very good already. Um, so, you know, it's, it's some fine tuning. You're not creating anything from scratch or trying to get anybody over any humps. He's, he's basically there. Um, so I think this is a huge opportunity for them to really chase NCAA titles, that being said, I'm gonna I'm gonna swim it, right? I think we were talking about them as potential NCAA title contenders before this. Um, and I'm gonna swim it because I think other guys are gonna go there and join this. Um, and and when this class of freshmen and sophomores get to be seniors, I think they're gonna be very good. Um, and that'll be like his sophomore year, and he'll be what gets him over the top. Um I think Texas is so so in some cracks in the armor. Cal is obviously still very good. Arizona, there's a lot of teams. I think we're entering a golden era for the men's team battle where we're going to see these awesome team races every year. If Arizona State, I'm, I, Arizona State has good classes coming in, and you have to assume that's going to continue after Paris when Leon uh, wins <laughs> a bunch of gold medals. Um, so I, I think I'm going to swim it. I don't think they're going to win like four titles while Daniel deal is there, but I think they will be able to break through because he is just stupid. Good. Hmm. I'm thinking it only because I feel like Cal and Texas aren't going anywhere. Yeah. Like you said, they might be showing a a few chinks in the armor, but I don't think, I think there's such powerhouses that to take them down would, would be just earth shattering. And then ASU, as you mentioned, is on a humongous trajectory, not going to be slowing down anytime soon. So I just feel like if he's coming in, you know, you're basically saying, okay, at least by a senior year, 
they would win a championship. It's plausible, but I, I don't think it's probable. So I'm thinking that. You know what? Braden inspired me. I'm going to swim it. <clears throat> uh, I think once Leon leaves Arizona State, if they don't have another complete stud, you know, they're uh, they're obviously doing really well at developing the guys they bring in. But Grant House is leaving and he's been, you know, the grandparent of the team. Uh, he's been kind of the, the staple of their culture rebuild. If they don't have another guy like Leon. He's just going to he, he he means too much to them points wise. Uh, and NC State is obviously doing a really good job developing who they bring in as well. Their sophomore class had a huge year. They were. Ten and a half points away from Texas for third at NCAAs, they were, you know, a hundred points behind Cal uh, for first. But I think that if they keep doing what they do, and like you said, he's kind of the prototypical backstroker, IMer who can also be a really good relay piece on their freestyle relays. Yeah, I think they can win a title. I think if the chips fall right, uh, that'd be really cool to see. And I'm going to bank for it. Sink or swim, the 25K being removed from world championship lineups moving forward. Swim. I mean, it's it's one of the few cases where I think World Aquatics hit the nail on the head. People were losing interest in it. It was expensive, an expensive race to put on. If If that's important to the open water swimming community, then they need to go back to having standalone open water championships, which were a thing for a while, like have a 25 K world championship, um, host that fund it, do whatever you got to do. You know, I think, I think we saw last year, there was some issues with getting all of the open water races in with just like weather. And that's, that's part of the nature of the beast of open water swimming is you can't put a roof over it. Um, so that makes it tricky. You know, I, it it didn't feel like competitive enough to me as, as an event, which is, you know, not to say that necessarily high diving, for example, has the same problem, right? It's the same 10, 10 people who are absolutely out of their gourds doing something that very few people in the world want to do. Uh, high diving is more entertaining, right? Like there's a, there's a spectator interest in watching people dive from 27 meters. Nobody was showing up to watch the 25 K. Um, so it, it just had a lot, nobody wanted to swim it. Nobody wanted to watch it. I hate that, um, it sort of limits Ana Marcelo Cunha's legacy and ability to like take her legacy over the top as the, and she's probably the greatest female open water swimmer anyway of all time, but like putting herself in untouchable territory, it's, it hurts her chase to do that. Um, but like, outside of that narrative i just i don't think anybody's gonna miss it yeah i'm swimming it too i do feel bad for the participants and the people who on the sporting side you know really were gung-ho for it but they did have higher operating costs they had lower number of entrants so the writing was kind of on the wall for that so i'm swimming it if anything was going to get cut they have to kind of have a prioritization list and that was the you know lowest on the priority we can't sit here and ask for modernization of the sport and then be upset when it's when you cut a race that really doesn't doesn't achieve any of the bigger goals of the sport. I don't think. Yeah, that's a pretty easy swim. 
it it cracked me up that the, that the commenters were so salty about it <clears throat> but it's like i guess these are the the 10 people that tune in to watch the 25k at world champs they, they don't i'm i'm certain they don't they, <laughs> some people just like hate change right and some people love the idea of distance swimming and they were distance swimmers. So they hate any time distance swimmers lose a thing. But again, <laughs> like even the distance swimmers didn't really want to do the 25K. And speaking of change in distance swimming, obviously Summer McIntosh broke Ariane Titmus's 400 free world record last week or the week before, whenever it was. Ariane reacted to that. Uh, she said, you know, it, it's, it's good to kind of build a little fire in her belly heading into worlds and Olympics this year. Do you think this is a good place to be, you know, roughly a 16 months out from, from an Olympic games, your world record gets broken this far out from a world champs from, a, from an Olympics. Do you think this is a positive? Oh, hell yeah. I swim the hell out of this. Um, I, the timing couldn't have been more perfect, right? Like 16 months is really like the, the make or break moment for a middle distance distance swimmer going into the Olympics where you've got to decide if you're going for it. You know, it was such an emotional chase of Katie Ledecky in Tokyo, I think, um, partially because she's Katie Ledecky and then all, all the other layers of, of COVID and all those other things, um, and like a lot of swimmers, it it seemed in the year or two after, like maybe Titmus's focus on the sport was waning. Not not for any reason other than she was skipping meets, right? She wasn't going to all the meets. She was like a lot of swimmers, and and that's totally fair. But after such an emotional high, anybody who's ever played sports at any level knows that after you chase something so competitive and get it, there can be a letdown. Um, for no other reason than like, you feel like you succeeded and that's a good thing, right? Like we, as humans want to accomplish things and you've accomplished the thing that you wanted to do. And I can totally appreciate that. That's good enough. Um, but to me, this, this gives her something else <laughs> to chase. It gives her another rabbit. Um, and with the intensity of her coach, I think having, having that outlet works for their social dynamic, probably just, you know, armchair psychologist, which we like to play on this podcast. Um, well, I mean, we, like we he, know I, that he used Katie Ledecky as motivation right. for her. Exactly. And now it's summer. Now there's summer, whether I, I'll be interested um, to hear whether he, he paints Ariana as the favorite who's being chased by by McIntosh or if he if he paints if they paint her internally as um as the favorite that Ariana has to chase does that make any sense mm -hmm. I think it made sense um so you know uh, that that will be sort of a fascinating dynamic but I think I think having an outlet for uh Dean's emotional intensity is probably a good thing so I'm swimming this all day, every day. I think it's it's great for everybody, but I think it's really great for Titmus. Yeah, I totally agree. I swim it and nothing can ever take away the fact that Titmus took a world record away from Lebecki. So she always has that, you know, in in her just, you know, in her in her chest of of motivation. So she always has that, like, I beat the best of the best, so I can do it again, so to speak. You know, now it just happens to be summer as opposed to Katie. And it's not like 
you know, Summer dropped the record by like three seconds. I mean, it's still, you know, within tenths, it's still totally achievable. And I do think paired with Dean Boxall's just intensity and he does focus on the competition and not not on like a personal level, but just like that's the best in the world right now. And so that's what you need to achieve if you want to get the gold medal. And Summer doesn't show any signs of slowing down. So I do think it is the rapid uh, rabbit to chase. And I think the timing is perfect. I don't think it's going to happen at world championships, but I think it's enough time mentally to get that in your head and have that be, you know, your goal for Paris 2024. And I think that that is what's going to happen. I, I, I think Titmus is going to be right there with her and I'm not counting her out at all. And I think this is perfect timing. I'm not convinced. I, uh, I think heading into Tokyo, Ariarn had beaten Katie Ledecky head to head and she had that confidence knowing that she could do it. Uh, she, she was also the best in the world from, from 2019 to 2021. And I think no matter, you know, she's taken time away from the sport after winning, which I think is great. She seems to be kind of easing back into it, but knowing that you're historically on the older side of your career you might be past your prime. You know, Katie went her best. Ledecky went her best time in Rio. Hasn't done it since in the foreigner free. Kind of knowing that trajectory and knowing that Ariane has already gone really, really fast in that. I think this might motivate her in training. And I think it might be a good thing there. But when it comes down to the race, I'm going to be really interested to see how the foreigner free goes at Worlds this summer, especially if they're, you know, the three of them are head to head to head. Because I think if Summer wins, I, I don't. I think this will be a negative for Ariane heading into Paris because if she doesn't have the confidence of knowing she can win in that race and knowing that how fast Summer can go, I think it will ultimately weigh on her more than it will motivate her. So, so let me ask you this: Do you think whoever wins Worlds this summer wins the Paris race? No, not necessarily. No. no. It's too early. No. Yeah. But I I mean I do think if it's still those three, if like you know, the, whatever result happens. Are we saying I'm it's not Ledecky's she doesn't have a spot? I mean, that's why I'm saying no, because it's like something could happen in this and and then in a year if it's still these three, I'm probably gonna say summer. Mm-hmm. But well, you so know, you I, have to, right? Like, if it's still these three, right? The 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 smart money is summer. Yeah, just yeah. It's, yeah. it's not like rocket science, right? She's the world record holder, and she's the youngest of the three. It's yeah. it doesn't take right. a lot to put those puzzle pieces together. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm not weighing out uh, Ledecky or Titmus because they've both been there. They've both won an Olympic medal in this in this event, but I think. I think Summer knowing certainly that didn't shirk at Worlds, she had no problem handling that stage. Yeah, and it, I mean, she's been an Olympic final with both of them and got fourth. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think she's going to be in their head yeah. <clears throat> by the time we get to Paris. But we'll see. <laughs> That's our news for the week. Tune in every week to the Swim Swim Breakdown for your week's news and swimming.